Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now your ears do not deceive you you have just entered the cryptid creator corner brought to you by your friends at comic book yeti so without further ado let's get on to the interview this is Byron O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and today I'm sitting down with writer Zach Thompson to talk about his new period noir horror comics project, Brother of All Men from Aftershock Comics. Thanks for joining me today, Zach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's dive right into the project. What's the Brother of All Men about? Um, it's about Guy Horn, who's a World War I veteran and part-time private eye who goes out west to British Columbia to save his estranged brother from the clutches of a cult called the Aquarian Foundation, um, which is a real cult based in, in actual history from British Columbia. Okay. Well, with something like this, atmosphere is critical. You know, with, with a cult as one of those centralized themes, I lived in the Pacific Northwest for nearly a decade. And even today, it's way easier to step out of town and become fairly isolated from, you know, that ebb and flow of modern society than a lot of other places. So if you wanted to disappear in the world, you can still do it there. So given that, why set things up in the 1920s? It, it could be a modern story. Totally, yeah. And um, it's actually like, it's partly born of like, I lived out in BC for a decade and I, I sort of was really fascinated with how uh, strange people seem to find their way out west there's a lot of like esoteric beliefs there's a lot of like tarot there's just a lot of like weirdness to the whole place and so i started to dig into that and, and get really fascinated with the subcultures that existed in bc in particular and that kind of led me to finding out that alistair crowley apparently spent some time in victoria in the 1920s and i was like that's crazy like what was what was he doing out there and then I found out that this guy, Brother 12, lived in that area during the 1920s and sort of set up shop for almost six years with his cult. And so that led down a huge rabbit hole where I like got in my car, I got on the ferry, I drove to Victoria and started digging around to try and find more about this cult. And then like before I knew it, I had this whole story out in front of me. Yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit more about the the Aquarian Brotherhood. You know, like you said, they were his, actually based in historical facts. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, like the whole you, we get into it a little bit in issue one, but the whole gist of it is that Brother Twelve is this English mystic from the UK who basically came to Canada at some point in the late 1920s and was like. I'm going to set up this place where people can kind of commune with nature and kind of can get lost in the wilderness, as you were saying, like that's sort of like part and parcel of what the West Coast was at the time, but also still is like a hundred years later. 
And so he was really apparently quite charming and, and sort of enraptured all these people into coming with him and setting up shop and actually kind of building a small society out near Victoria in BC. And like, it, it's funny in the 1920s, he's basically saying like, hey, the next, like the 1930s are gonna be really shitty for everyone. And, you know, the world government is corrupt and run by these secret societies. And like, it was pretty much right <laughs> talking about like what's happening almost right now and then convincing people to come out with him to build this community. And I found that so fascinating because one, on the whole of it, the prospect is very interesting, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I've, I've long thought about like, what if I just got like 30 friends together and we just like fucked off into the woods and oh, we yeah. like drilled our own well and we started getting solar and, you know, like got completely off the grid and sort of said, fuck society, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're done and we're going to go and do our own thing. And so it's like, it made a lot of sense to me from that standpoint and then just looking at the 1920s and sort of what people were going through in Canada at the time, it makes complete sense that again, they would find themselves sort of like disillusioned with big government and, and looking to kind of like leave society behind. If you consider like they just lived through the, the flu and they just got through world war one and it was a terrible time for everyone away and at home. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, you think about these parallels between the historical context and modern, you know, that's a cult is something you hear a lot even these days. It's almost a synonymous phrase used to describe people who are different, you know, than you are. Yeah. And you chose this particularly interesting dynamic to explore with the two brothers in the story, which I think most of us can relate to. I mean, I think we've all had some kind of polarizing familial tension in the past few years, whether that's politically, ideologically concerned or how the government should be handling COVID. So there's a lot of tension there to explore. Yeah, and I, that was definitely a huge part of it was I, I, you know, like the last couple of years, whoever you talk to, they're like, I had ever really weird conversation with my uncle or like I had to talk to my brother about Joe Rogan or whatever, yep, yep. whatever it may be. And you have this moment where everyone can kind of commiserate with that. And I kept thinking about, well, what does it look like when you're removed from all of the, the noise of the modern world and all of social media and everything? Because it's so easy to blame all of that or, or to get wrapped up into how someone got to where they have that belief system. What I think really interested me is like sort of taking all of the technology, stripping all of that away and just talking about how people do find themselves in these systems of belief, how people are sort of drawn into these these places and then also taking a POV character that isn't uh, necessarily perfect and, and doesn't actually believe that everything is kind of going well anyway and is sort of drawn into this and then kind of through that through his sort of like uh, fractured psyche he's going to actually be the person who sees cracks in this sort of society more easily right because at the end of the day the thing that's interesting about cults is that sometimes more often than not appeals to people who are sort of more secure in, in life and actually haven't really struggled and don't really understand the pains of, of what it's like to be forgotten or marginalized in any way. And so like when you are someone who is marginalized because Guy is dealing with a really horrible facial uh, disfiguration from the war, he kind of has this perspective of not belonging already. 
So yes, he's drawn into this, but he will quickly be the person who sees how hollow this all is. Yeah, I mean, for me, I know it's super cliched, but there were some Lovecraftian beats even in there, in the story. So what kind of feel were you going for when you were constructing it? So it's interesting when you were talking about sense of place, because I kept thinking about um, being out in the West Coast and being on like a beach or being on a forest and being by yourself and being like, this landscape that I'm on is like a million years old or whatever. And I feel like I'm the only person here. And I kept thinking about how, in my experience, that happened to me a lot when I was out West, especially when I was on Vancouver Island, you'd just be driving the highway, you could pull over, you could walk down a, a few rocks and you'd be on the shore of somewhere that felt untouched really. Yep, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that was what I was, I was trying to figure out how to communicate that in a way that felt, there is that Lovecraftian element, but it was like, how do I take how that feels, that overwhelming sense and create some visual tether that's also tied to sort of the belief system of, of Brother 12. And um, there's some hints in, in sort of that one page in issue one mm -hmm. that also how do I wear this? The design of those things that you see uh, is heavily tied to what his belief system is. And so if you actually like look up Brother 12, there's a moment where his followers sort of were like, wait, fuck this guy, because he claimed to be something that he clearly wasn't. And it has to do with, I'll just say it. And if you don't want to hear spoilers, then just don't I leave it up to, to you. Next yeah, part. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's he. It's they're very Egyptian in styling, and there's a reason for that. And there's also a reason for like the Horus statue in the uh, in the town when he's walking in on perched on top of a building. And there's a lot of weird. Brother Twelve was very enraptured by Egyptian mythology for some reason, and then he started to conflate his own sense of self with Egyptian mythology. Um, which is like so profoundly interesting to me that that would be what he brings to Canada, but he's from the UK. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is just me being curious. So as a as a Prince Edward Islander, um, an East Coaster natively, right? I, why set it up in BC? Well, I spent a decade in BC and right. really what it's a very interesting thing but this is sort of a confluence of of things happening but i've been trying to get tell this guy's story for a while different forms different uh methods and i've i appealed to like the canadian government and tried to get a grant to tell brother 12 story oh, and wow, okay. it just didn't really ever go through and so i started to think about well, how do I package this into a comic? How do I how do I turn it into something else? So this is a the culmination of like a five year quest to tell this dude's story, <laughs> and uh, so it kind of came together last summer, and that was right at the point where I decided to actually leave the West Coast. So it almost felt weirdly like kismet because I was like, okay, this is my love letter to this coast that I've lived on for the last 10 years. This is my way of sort of 
taking all of my thoughts and feelings about the Pacific Northwest and then like blending it with my love of horror and my love of folk horror and detective noir and sort of like doing something that only really I can do with material that I've kind of fell in love with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. See, I assume just because of the isolation elements that were so strong in it, that this would have been a COVID project, you know, as we're all kind of going through yeah. that isolation period. But yeah, so it's, it sounds like it's been in your head for a long time. Yeah, well, before I was a comic book writer, I worked at Vice doing like freelance journalism type work. And okay. that those uh, years were, were sort of like highlighted by meetings where all of the like, uh, freelancers from the Pacific Northwest would get together and then we would all have beers and stuff. And so there's always this talk about magicians and the occult in BC. Yep. And then as I started to find out about Brother 12, like I was just always poking people being like, you were on the island recently. Did you hear anything about like witches or the occult or whatever? So it's been like, I've always been like turning over stones. And it's so interesting after announcing the project too, where like I had a, a woman reach out who's like writing her PhD thesis on brother 12 like after the book got announced and she was like I had no idea this existed and like this is so cool and I've got writing from him that hasn't been published and just like it's just neat you don't even know but other people share these fascinations and it's just like it brings people together this weird history (laughs) which I love Yeah, well, let's talk about your creative team, bringing people together, right? So, you know, Owen isn't just the artist. How'd you two cook this up? I mean, how did how did that relationship play out? Because he, he's, I don't know, your co-creators, is that accurate to say? Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, so Owen and I have known each other for a few years now, actually. Um, he did a fill-in issue on my first Aftershock book way back, I think, in 2018, And then at that point, we had talked about doing something longer form. But as you know, like with long term schedules and stuff, things just kind of don't line up. And so you've been talking for years. And I came to him with this. It must have been in 2019, 2020, maybe like early 2020. I said, look, I've got this weird cult leader in BC and I've been thinking about doing something with it. And I, and I think he, had, we had just talked about the wicker man together because okay. I had seen that he watched it and I was like, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. And I was like, I may have a Canadian wicker man thing going on that like no one seems to have tapped and, and no one's really thought about it. And so I talked to Owen about it. And then from his interest, I reached out to Aftershock and I said, like, look, I've got this thing. It's very different than what I've done here before um, on my own because I, you know, I haven't really written a lot of crime as like a solo writer. So I was like, you know, I want to kind of change course here because I had just done two books at Aftershock that were like, you know, about technology and, and people and, and very like weird body horror, David Cronenberg stuff. And I was like, I'm changing direction hard. But Owen came along and was like so down to build it. And we talked about, you know, the era and what that sort of entailed and, and the fashion and the, the smog of the 1920s. And he's just been the best collaborator in terms of like, there's a little thing that I love where we, we talked about how 
Guy, the main character, wears like the facial prosthetic on the side of his face as like a mask. But then there's also like another character in the first issue that's wearing a mask. But then the way that other characters' faces, just bit characters, are introduced, like there's miners with dirt all over their faces. And that was, that was all done. Yeah, and, and it's done with his like really dirty inking style that he brought to the, the book that has this like really worn, like pulpy feel. And he was like, I really want to like dirty up everyone's faces that he talks to. And I was like, I love that so much. Like, let's yeah. so like it was a lot of that collaborative process where we just sort of talked along the way and said, How do we build 1920s Canada on the page? And then it kind of all sprang from that. Yeah, the, the miners in the first issue, everybody should check this out. First of all, it's a great story, but like that was like the standout panel. I was just like, that is so good. Yeah, um, I'm thrilled with that. Yeah, I mean, the that overall visual aesthetic reminds me of like Hellblazer um, in the 90s or Jason Burroughs' work on Alan Moore's Providence. You know, um, Mark Englert's color work complements it well with like a, a, you know, you've got this desaturated palette. And, and that rawness texturally you were talking about with the inks it makes the panels feel aged, you know? Uh, it, yeah. There's even, it's, it's really well constructed. There's even this dichotomy between the color tones being brighter once Guy steps away from civilization, you know, almost like entering into this whole new phase of, of the book. So, uh, you know, how, how did you as a group kind of conceptualize all that stuff? Or, or was it just like, hey guys, run with it? Well, Mark came onto the book a little bit later because Owen and I had been working for about a year before he probably started coloring the book. And it was a lot of like what you were saying was like, hey, we want to desaturate things. We want to make things look local almost. We want to make it feel as if you are in nature and the, and the city itself should feel stuffy and gross and like sort of like yellow, like the paper should almost feel aged yeah. when you look at it. And then when you get out into nature, it should feel like very inviting and warm and, and have this like ethereal sort of like quality to it. But my thing was like an ethereal quality that you can find in real life, like in that you, if you wake up to the sunrise and you, and you see it and you're sort of amidst nature, that that would feel authentic on the page. And Mark got it right away and, and ran with it. And there's just such a like, it's so great because like it started from a really long conversation at the beginning and then like we just finished issue two and it's like it's seamless at this point there's no notes or anything it's just sort of like okay we're all on the same page about what the aesthetic is now and we can kind of just like let it fly which is the best oh yeah well and you've got Hassan who's an absolute master you know yeah at his craft <laughs> so you were talking about those uh the the browning ever and the the narration bits, which are, are so critical to the story, look like torn scraps of, you know, brown old grocery bags or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the word bubbles I, have, have that heavily shadowed element to the bottom, which gives it, you know, more yeah. visual volume. So, yeah. Yeah, Hassan absolutely killed it as well. Like, I feel so uh, lucky because we've worked together a few times now. And so it's like, I'll bring him something and be like, so the aesthetic of this is completely different. And like, we, we got talking and I was like, I want this to feel like a, an old pulp novel. Like when you read it, when you look at it, it should look like an old pulp novel. And he was like, what about these torn scraps of brown paper? And it was just like, perfect. And that 
like you're saying, the heavy shadowing on all of the, the dialogue is done again to kind of evoke that noir feeling, but also like give a heaviness to everything and everyone. And so in that opening sequence, when he's walking through Victoria and he's questioning everyone, it all feels a little weirder and a little off because of that heavy lettering, which I just adore. Yeah. Well, with a with a few other you know horror projects under your belt at this point, what what's the essential mix there for creating a memorable horror comic? Um, I think like it's always for me, it's just like what am I scared of? I think that's just the most universal thing. Is like I've been I watch a lot of horror movies and I don't feel anything, but sometimes I'll go for a hike and I wander down a path outside and I'm like if I trip and crack my head that's it I'm got like I'm gone I'm out here by myself and there's no one's gonna find me for months or whatever you know and like that's was a a huge thing that kind of brought me here and then I was thinking about just being in the 1920s when you like maybe are hanging out with people who think they're magicians, right? And how scary that would be as you start to realize like, oh, these people actually think they can do magic. And what does that mean? And how do they see like, what what might they do to me? You know, and like, I think that was a huge driving factor in the book. Well, what ultimately would you be happy with with a, a reader taking away from the project? Like what mark okay, I succeeded if I did blank, you know? I think, um, I think there's a couple things, but I think one, it's like you, just because you love somebody doesn't mean they mean that you mean anything to them. Yeah. Um, I, I think is a, a huge thing, but also just like how, uh, how difficult it is to change someone's mind. That was the, really, honestly, the driving force of the book was like, you may think you're getting through, you may think that you said all the right things, but can you actually physically change someone's mind in a, in a world where it feels increasingly more difficult and hostile to try and do so? Well, what else you got, Bruin, you, that you're actually at liberty to mention, you know, right now? Um, I just announced I have like a eight page Batman short story and urban legends 19 that's out in September with uh, Hayden Sherman. Okay. And Hayden is unbelievable. One of my favorite artists. So thrilled about that. And then uh, in November, I have a book called nature's labyrinth coming up from mad cave studios, which is like a battle Royale meets stalker is how I've been telling people to think about it. It's a kind of a attempt to do something that's a little bit more lighthearted and fun and, and sort of uh, extremely gory. <laughs> well, where can people go to find you online or where would you like them to find you online? Sometimes it's the better question. Uh, you can find me online at Zach B.E. Thompson, both on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I prefer to be found online anywhere. If I could no, yeah. retreat from online life forever, I probably would. But I think um, everybody's kind of in that mode lately. Yeah, yeah. We're stuck in here together. So it's at least we're together. Exactly. Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the Brother of All Men. Thank you so much for having me.
Yeah, I hope we've convinced everyone listening they should go pick it up. It's definitely I'm a I'm a horror fan, and it is definitely creepy enough that it'll stick with me for for some time. And, and just having more of a rounded perspective on those historical elements and why you want to tell the story makes it that much more interesting to me. So, and now I want awesome. to go dig dig up you know about the a little bit more about the cult and. You know, the 12th, 12th man, like that's so funny. 12th man, if you're in uh, the Seattle area, of course, this is Seahawks. So like maybe we can pull in some Seahawks fan with the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. association. <laughs> all right, man. This is Brian O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.